Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I hope you enjoyed the opening music. It's by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dore, and it's called Clarion Call. And you can download that on any of your favorite music apps if you'd like. For those of you that are new to our show, we're about sound uh, information, not just sound bites. We want to have real conversations with real people in the trenches, and that means people diagnosed. That means families caring for loved ones, professionals in the industry, researchers, advocates, neighbors, you name it. Everybody has something to contribute. And as long as we do it in a respectful way, uh, we want to be open to that. So, again, we hope that you will, uh, you will join us. And today is open mic, so that gives even more opportunity to have your voice be heard. You can call in at 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Now, I need to thank our listeners before I pull in any guests because you guys, you know, um, make us what we are. I never in my wildest dreams thought we'd be heard around the world and connecting with people doing such amazing work. So thank you so much for your likes, for your clicks, for your shares. It has truly made a, a big, big difference in in our work and the ability um, of, of Alzheimer's Speaks to kind of build that sense of community, that collaboration, that comfort, that thing that says, hey, we're, we're in this together and we're, we're never, ever alone. There's always someone you can reach out to. Now, if you missed our shows last week, we did a couple of shows with uh, Jade Angelica, who wrote this beautiful audio play called uh, The Forgetting and the Forgetting. And we have one where um, Jade and I talk for about 26 minutes, and then the play begins, and it's a 90-minute play. Then we also invited the cast back on another date, and we talked with them, and what you know what they got out of the play and uh, what it was like for them to to be in a play that really highlights the everyday life uh, with dementia both for a person diagnosed and their family members and then there was another one that i thought was extremely uh, interesting as well we talked with uh, three different families and what the impact of COVID had on them and how they did the dance to still connect and what worked and what didn't work for them. And then coming up, we are going to be doing a program this Thursday. 
featuring um, MDVIP, and they are going to be uh, talking about a survey that they have on uh, the healthy brain and what is your IQ, and it's really quite fascinating, so I would recommend that you listen to that. We're also going to have um, the following show is going to be on kind of backyard rec therapy and what does that mean? What does it look like? How do you get involved? So lots of cool stuff going on. All of our shows are archived, so you can be on here forever if you want because we've been doing this since uh, 2011. And let's see what else. I need to give a couple of shout-outs. One is to Chantal Horn. She's a student in New Zealand, and she has created a survey that she would love people to participate in It's regarding dementia caregivers and burnout. It takes about 10 minutes uh, to to take that quiz, but you can find more information on our blog or go to alzheimerspeaks.com. It's right at the top. And then, of course, I have to give a shout out to Artist Senior Living in Woodbury. We did our first uh, Artist Way Memory Cafe. Those are going to be held virtually on the third Wednesday of every month from 1 to 2 And if you'd like to participate, no matter where you live, the number is 612-200-0506. That's 612-200-0506. And I'm going to help facilitate those uh, in the beginning until the the group kind of takes off and flies on their own. Um, Dementia. Uh, Alliance International is having a human rights as a practical model residential aged care uh, webinar, which will be really interesting. Daniela Greenwood is going to be heading that up. That's on September uh, 23rd and 24th, depending on where you're living. And you can go to DAI.org for more information. Daniela, I was lucky enough to meet. She's over in Australia. Uh, a few years back when uh, she was here, a bunch of uh, international people just got together in California, and she was amazing. So I know that you will get a lot from her. Also, Alzheimer's Disease International released their um, annual report yesterday, which is a huge report. It comes in two parts, and it's like 250 pages um, each part. And it's about design and dignity and dementia. And needless to say, I haven't gotten through it all. I, I, I barely had time to open up the email yesterday. Uh, but you can get more information by going to, uh, um, to their website, again, which is uh, alzheimersdiseaseinternational.org. Um, and then with COVID on us, we have a lot of people looking for something to do. I highly recommend you go to mariasplace.com, filled with free activities, or Coro Health, that's C-O-R-O Health, and they are allowing people to update, or I should say download, uh, two of their, their apps, Music First and Coral Face, for free. Um, also, you can visit the memorycafedirectory.com, And that will allow you to find out where virtual cafes are taking place. And, uh, again, I think that that's always uh, extremely important for people to be able to stay connected. We're going to hear from the Foot Bar Walker, and we'll be right back. 
Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The Footbar Walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the footbar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The footbar walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the footbar walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the footbar walker. Well, uh, that walker is absolutely fantastic. I've gotten to see it in action, and uh, really, (laughs) it helps people so much with upper body strength, uh, just feeling more uh, dignified and independent, and it's not stressful on uh, the care partner assisting them in getting up. It's really quite amazing. So I would I would highly recommend uh, checking out the Footbar Walker, and uh, that's just the .com, and uh, see what you think if you know of anyone in need of using a, a walker. Now, it looks like we've got our first caller on the line, so let me go ahead and pull them in. Uh, this person is from a 4804 number. You are live and on the air, if you don't mind saying your name and where you're from. Hi, this is Wesley Salazar. I'm calling in from New York City. Well, welcome. Welcome, Wesley. And what would you like to share with our audience today? Um, well, first of all, thank you for answering my call. I'm thrilled and honored to be here. Um, I'm calling to represent the Alzheimer's Research and Resource Foundation and share some information about a brand new program that we launched this month. Okay. Yeah, first things uh, first, I thought I'd give some background information about the foundation itself, um, just in case anyone's unfamiliar with our work. The Alzheimer's Research and Resource Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to Alzheimer's care and its research. Um, We are super happy to be celebrating our 25th anniversary this year, huge milestone. Um, And since 1995, ARARF um, has developed and distributed educational information and materials to folks who are affected by Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, um, primarily caregivers of uh, folks affected by Alzheimer's disease. And we do that at no cost to caregivers themselves. The resources that we provide are totally free. Well, that's wonderful. Now, I'm familiar with your group and um, well, the founder, uh, Tom, I, he and I go way back, and um, he, this their organization is just loaded with so much fantastic information, um, but the struggle has always been how do you reach people, so I'm so glad that you, you called in. Can you tell us about your campaign? Yes, I would love to. <laughs> um, to celebrate uh, our 25th anniversary, we launched a new completely free email program um, that's inspired by 
a larger program that we have. So before I dive into the email side, I want to talk a little bit about the Alzheimer's Caregiver, which is ARIRF's primary educational resource that we provide for free. Um, and it's a program that was developed to empower in-home caregivers with, you know, the basic skills and knowledge that you need to provide high-quality, you know, kindness-forward care. Um, it's a program that's based right on science. Um, it was compiled, compiled by Alzheimer's researchers and experts, and it consists of a whopping 32 lessons um, with audio and visual components um, as well. And it, it's just meant to help you tackle challenges across the different stages of Alzheimer's disease from, you know, that in, initial diagnosis um, all the way to late stage care. Um, and it's the Alzheimer's caregiver is, you know, the pillar of ARIRF's work. And we're immensely proud of the program. And it's incredible how relevant it continues to be, you know, year after year. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's so much information there. And it's, um, you know, it's really curated and um, formulated. I mean, it, it's got great background. It's Like she said, it's research-based. And yet what they put together is really simple to understand. So it's not talking over you, and it's not really even talking at you. It's really talking with you is how I would say their information is put together, which is really, really nice. I mean, you just um, it's just comforting um, mm -hmm. and uh, good sound information. I'm glad, so glad to hear that. Um, but I do think one of the, you know, challenges when you're um, a caregiver is just all of the information that's out there. <laughs> um, it's, you know, there's a lot, simultaneously a lot and never enough. Um, but this program, because it's so robust, it really covers everything, um, at least in terms of the basics that you might need just to provide some great care. And as you mentioned, like, it's meant to be approachable and accessible to anyone. Um, and with that in mind, with just the sheer size of it in mind, we decided to create a new um, free email program um, that's inspired by those 32 lessons that make up the Alzheimer's caregiver. Um, you know, we know that it's a lot of information. And so our hope is that this new email series, you know, can meet you where you are in your email inbox. Um, when you sign up for the subscription, you'll start getting a free email. Sorry, I keep saying free because people always ask me <laughs> if, if you have to pay for it. Um, but you get a free email that contains uh, helpful tips and information, um, and you get them over the course of 18 weeks. It doesn't go on forever. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's not indefinite. Um, and each of the emails is thematic. So the first email that you get, is designed to help you understand, you know, what Alzheimer's is. And then you'll slowly move through the lessons relating to hands-on care, um, such as assisting with activities of daily living, like bathing and dressing and grooming, um, then to managing things like sleep issues and other challenges, um, learning how to communicate effectively with someone with Alzheimer's, uh, learning how to make home environments as safe as possible through the various stages of the disease. Uh, I could go on and on. There's just so much information in there. Um, mm -hmm. And each email includes some 
some super quick takeaways from the corresponding lesson, um, and then also includes a link to you know, the bigger in-depth resources that will help you explore further at your own pace. So mm -hmm. our hope is that this program just takes some of the work out of searching for that information, um, and that you know, we know that not every lesson of the Alzheimer's caregiver is necessarily going to be relevant to you today or even this week, um, since that you know, obviously depends on the stage that you're in. But we hope that by getting the, this information and all of these lessons to you, you'll at least have them at your fingertips, um, in your inbox, uh, bookmarked, whatever it may be, whenever you need it. Oh, that's that's great. And, you know, we got to make it as simple as possible for caregivers, carers, care partners, care companions, whatever phrase we want to use there, because their time is limited and it's precious and they can get overwhelmed. And so I love this idea that you're emailing things out in chunks. So, you know, they can always make a folder if they can't get to it and uh, and come back to it, you know, at another time as well. Um, now, has this launched yet, or are you just in, in the beginning of uh, going to launch this? It is launched. It's ready <laughs> for mm -hmm. everyone to sign up. You can sign up at um, ararf.org slash subscribe. You can also just go to our homepage, ararf.org, and there's a big old green box right on the homepage that um, has a sign-up button. And oh. yeah, once you sign up, within I think within 24 hours, you get your first email, and then you're you're ready to rock and roll. Oh, that's fantastic! That's uh, I, I would definitely recommend people try that. I mean, uh, the worst that's going to happen is you're not going to get to it, but you know it's there. And you, and once you have that email, you're going to know how to access all of this great information at ARF as well, again, which is Alzheimer's Research and Resources Foundation, because it is, it is, uh, it will be a tremendous help uh, to, to people. And even if you might not be in the trenches right now, if you're listening, you've got an interest in this, you know, share it with other people, uh, because there's a, there's a lot of people out there that, that need this and might not have time to listen to our show today. And so, um, again, spread the word. Don't be shy. You know, dementia needs you uh, to be a voice and to be, I guess, a, be a super spreader in dementia. That's a good thing when it comes to awareness. Uh, <laughs> might not be so good with COVID, but uh, with dementia, it's a, it's a good thing. So, well, thank you so much for calling in, Leslie. Anything else that you wanted to share with us? No, um, just visit our website. We are on social media as well, if you're on Facebook or Instagram under the same name. Um, and definitely reach out to us. We have a contact page that's really easy to find. If you, you know, come across a roadblock, you're looking for resources, chances are we've got it. Um, and we're always happy to share the information that we have. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much for calling in. Uh, today, Leslie, really appreciate that. Again, she's with the Alzheimer's Research and Resources Foundation, known as ARF. So thank you. We've got another caller on the line here. Um, we've got somebody from a 6394 number, 6394. You are live and on the air. Do you mind sharing your name and where you're from? 
6394. You're live and on the air. Do you want to share your name and where you're from? Hi, Lori. This is Chris Sunberg. Sorry for my delay there. Uh, I'm from uh, Minnesota, and uh, I am executive director of a nonprofit here, Elder Boys Family Advocates. And I thought maybe your listeners might be interested in hearing about the work that we've been doing uh, from a a state perspective uh, in the care of elders, and that includes uh, those with memory uh, issues as well. Oh, we're always open to hearing new things. There's no (laughs) way any of us can can know everything. And so that's what I love about these uh, open mics is, it just raises awareness to, to resources we might not have even known existed. So have at it. Thank you. And I, I'm always uh, eager to share our story. Uh, and if it's of help to others in other states, super. That's what we're all about. We're about trying to, to help each other do the best we can for our, our uh, elders. But let me just give you a short, uh, you know, a review of who we are as an organization. Uh, And we're fairly young. Uh, We came together, we were formed in 2017 uh, by uh, an elder abuse attorney, Susie Scheller. And she recognized that the voice of the residents and their families who live in the long-term care residence really was missing. The industry was dominating that discussion, and uh, we weren't hearing much from from the families. And she brought together a a handful, really, a group of uh, uh, family members uh, who often had horrific experiences with elder abuse, neglect, or exploitation, or all of the above. And uh, I was one of those uh, fortunate people to come early together And we quickly decided uh, that what we needed to do is become an advocacy organization to hopefully make things much better uh, for those living in those uh, residential settings there. So, um, and what we learned is that, first of all, we really were unique. There aren't many uh, organizations that really just have that total soul focus on the resident and the families. And also what was different is we had a lot of our, our members and supporters who had the courage really to step up and talk about the reality uh, that they experienced living in either a uh, assisted living, a nursing home, or other uh, group care uh, facility. And uh, what we did early on is we started to talk to the media. We told our stories. The media gave uh, a considerable amount of attention uh, to all of this. And in 2017, our our major uh, newspaper in Minnesota published a five-day series, uh, and I believe the title was Left to Suffer. The result of that really kind of shook the the uh, dome off of the state capitol because our governor at that time quickly put together a, uh, a group of 
uh, only advocates, which was very different and never had been uh, done in the past. And those advocates included the Alzheimer's Association, AARP, uh, Elder Justice Center, uh, Legal Aid, and then us, uh, that brand new little organization uh, that came forward. And the governor, and this was in December of 2017, asked us to uh, come together with legislative recommendations. Uh, it, it really kind of kiboshed our, our Christmas holiday, but, but we really got to work and we gave him a very detailed, not only recommendations, but actually suggested language for uh, legislation. He adopted every one of those. Uh, and in the 2018 legislative session, uh, legislation uh, was introduced. Uh, it ultimately did not pass. But in 2019, we were successful uh, in getting that passed. And what we learned soon is that Minnesota was the only state who did not license assisted living, which really kind of accounted for a, a lot of the problems that we were seeing happening uh, in terms of you know, horrendous neglect and abuse and even exploitation. Um, so the, those laws start, they, they, one of the things in, in particularly the memory care arena is that we finally uh, got uh, a, uh, a, a tier of assisted living licensure that is specific to memory care. So they, uh, when this law becomes effective, they will have to, um, to uh, designate uh, that they are uh, a dementia care. Right now, we don't have that. That this, uh, these new laws institute a number of standards, including infection control, physical plant uh, training, staff training, uh, and and requirements for 24-hour awake staff, etc. And uh, it is to become effective August of first uh, of 2021 next year. Now we've got the pandemic that has hit us, and this has kind of turned everything upside down for us. And uh, so what, what we're seeing happen, first of all, is, is um, the impact of COVID for those with Alzheimer's is devastating. And uh, I, I just saw a recent statistic that uh, the Alzheimer's disease and dementia rose by more than 20% over normal over this past uh, summer, and they attributed that to uh, really the pandemic. And we're hearing that from uh, our families that are watching their loved ones uh, take a steep uh, decline in their cognitive abilities because there's so little stimulation. Often they're just locked in their rooms and, and uh, not given the kind of uh, stimulation uh, that they need, and they're very limited, if not prevented altogether, from uh, seeing their families. Mm -hmm. This is having uh, an extraordinary impact, and I'm sure many of your people are, are witnessing this as well. In Minnesota, uh, we have an extraordinary death rate in long-term care, which uh, as of today was over 72% of all the deaths. Uh, are happening in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. 
And it, it, that's really, uh, you know, heartbreaking, uh, to say the least. And, and we just are, are trying our best to get our regulators uh, and legislators to recognize and, and ultimately the long-term care providers but what, what we're there's so many areas of concern, and and part of it is is now the Department of Health has redeployed 90% of their staff to handle the pandemic. So that means that you know investigations are are being drastically reduced, surveying of these facilities also being re- reduced. Families are being prevented from entering the facilities, so there's no eyes on in these facilities, and they're not able to provide the care that they had been. Uh, and this is, it has an impact on everybody that, that is residing there, but it's a huge impact uh, for memory care folks. So, um, so what we're seeing, too, is that now because even before COVID, we had serious staffing shortages, uh, but the pay is pretty low, very low. They often do better working at McDonald's uh, mm-hmm. than they do providing care. And, you know, these are, so obviously they're having trouble attracting people uh, in this. And then you've got the other issues of COVID and, and uh, such. But I, I want to give folks a little feel for what we're doing in our advocacy work as a result of all this, this horrendous impact of COVID. First of all, we're, going, we're opposing the delay of the assisted living licensure. Had we had licensure in place before this pandemic, I am convinced we would have seen far fewer deaths and needless suffering going on. And um, we're also opposing uh, giving the long-term care industry blanket immunity from legal action. Uh, That is really the last recourse that we really have for anybody to address uh, those those facilities that are doing great harm. So Mm -hmm. we're, we're... have offered a number of protections to establish a COVID-19 task force because what we're seeing is the Department of Health is really relying on uh, a handful of of people that uh, are giving them uh, guidance and they're not broadening uh, that out enough. And, And the Department of Health is is holding all this very valuable data to itself and not releasing that so we can better understand what's going on, where is it going on, why, uh, and how that might impact, you know, a family's decisions where they have their their loved one. Uh, You know, we're trying to to address, you know, uh, getting uh, more robust testing. Uh, In our opinion, from the start, the Department of Health, you know, gave very little, uh, uh, not enough attention, let me put it that way, uh, for the care of the folks living in these facilities. And uh, yet they they were having constant dialogue with the long-term care industry, as they should. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But they, they were not interested in hearing from the families of the residents. So, I think that's another reason for the compounding of our issues here. 
there's a whole number of things that we're going to be looking at, and uh, it's an extremely stressful and distressing time uh, for our folks, not only here in Minnesota, but uh, elsewhere. So, Lori, I, I just wanted to give the folks a, a feel for what we're about, what we're doing, and if anybody has an interest, they can go to our website at uh, eldervoicefamilyadvocates.org. Uh, and, and there's a contact there, and you can reach me via that as well, as well as get information about us as an organization. But thanks, Lori. I appreciate the time and uh, certainly would respond to any questions you might have. Well, I, you know, I think I definitely think it's a need, and I think, you know, through this whole COVID thing, um, communities are, are, are struggling. They're doing much better than what they, they were, but... Part of it was the changing regulations constantly, too, you know, through the process yeah. and trying to meet the need. And you had mentioned, you know, staffing issues, the, the PPE. Um, they seem to be getting more creative in terms of how to connect and, and how can we still have physical visits. Um, time is going to tell, though, here in Minnesota, it's going to get cold really quick. <laughs> going to be able to do yeah. the outdoor stuff. So I would encourage anyone to contact Chris, um, talk more. Uh, you know, maybe this is something of interest. I, I don't know if your group would expand outside Minnesota or if you're willing to kind of help people structure in their own space, um, you know, on that. But, you know, reach out to her and um Learn, learn all you can. If this sounds of interest, if this piques your interest, you know the door is open now. So um, take advantage. And Lori, of that. Mm-hmm. Lori, other states have reached out to us, and uh, we're more than happy to be of help and share what our experiences, what worked for us, and what didn't work for us. So oh, wonderful. Uh, reach out anytime. Thank you. Okay. Great. Thanks so much, Chris. Now we've got another caller on the line, uh, and the ending number is 5173. 5173, you are live and on the air. Um, If you can state your name and where you're from, that would be great. Hi. Yeah, I'm Kate Fassbender, and I'm uh, located in Rhode Island. Um, Okay. Well, welcome, Kate. Thanks for calling in. And what did you want to share with our audience today? Yeah, so I am uh, not only the creator of the Dementia Letters Project, but what I really wanted to share with you and your audience today is I am also one of the founding members of Reimagining Dementia, which is a brand new creative coalition that seeks to transform the narrative of dementia using creativity and joy and play as a vehicle to do so that connects communities not working in silos, but becomes a bridge um, between all the silos that we unfortunately currently have in our care system today. Wonderful. Um, who, who, you know, should become members of this group of reimagining uh, dementia? Yeah, anybody can really become a member. Our, our founding committee is made up of individuals living with dementia who they themselves have a diagnosis of one of the forms of dementia, um, of educators, of activists, of dementia and care professionals. And it, we really seek just to be a community that can bond together, that can bounce ideas off of each other, and that can move forward as a wave um, together to change how we view 
how we view dementia from everything from some of our care practices to the language we use in our media and in our art forms um, and how it's portrayed to everyone. Um, so anybody can join, can join our community. Well, fantastic. And are you looking for people to participate in different ways or, you know, what if they sign up, what, what should they expect? Yeah, so there's a spectrum of participation. So the first is just to sign up to say, I hear you, I agree with what we are creating and what we seek to create, um, and that leave it at that. And it can go all the way to facilitating um, formal conversations, be it in the education setting or in the community or organizing events. Um, we really created it so we set out some calls to action but the goals and the concrete ways that we put it into motion are, are going to be made up by those in the community and what they can do and where they see their time and talent um, fits best into the mission. Oh, fantastic. And um, do you have any, like, events coming up that you want people to know about, you know, with your, with your group or um, meetings that they can participate in? Yeah, right now we don't currently have any events set up. There are conversations um, in the works, and those hopefully within the next few weeks we'll have concrete dates that we can share with others. Um, but if people are interested in, in either joining the coalition or you know, being um, on the list to be notified when those dates go out, um, they can email reimaginingdementia at gmail.com, and we'll make sure to keep them in the loop when there are concrete events and programs set in place. Wonderful. Is there certain things that, you know, if our listeners are um, wanting to take part that they should keep in mind uh, in terms of what they could offer the group? Um, it really is where they are. So if they are, say, uh, a care partner who's living at home with their spouse who might have dementia, for them it may be just sharing sharing their story, and that could be enough. Um, for others, it could be if they're a professor at a university, sharing it with their students to encourage people to go into caring and dementia professionals. Um, it really, at this point, it, you know, the imagination can run as wild, and they'll all fold into it as long as it's a part of the mission of transforming the negative narrative, using creativity, and really being joyful about what how can we live fully alive with dementia? Mm -hmm. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you calling in and sharing that information mm -hmm. with our group. Again, uh, Reimagine mm -hmm. Dementia, boy, that is just a, such a powerful name because you, we need to do that. I, you know, I've been yeah. uh, dealing with this in, you know, my mom had dementia for 30 years and she's been mm -hmm. gone six. So for 36 years, I've been like, trying to reimagine what it looks like in the last 10 years, I, you know, actively stepped into Alzheimer's speaks to try to make those changes. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of things happen really in the last mm -hmm. five years, but I mean, the possibilities yeah. are endless and the more people Absolutely. we can pull together and brainstorm with and learn from one another, uh, the faster we're going to be able to accelerate that and, and get people the, the hope and the help that they need. So, again, thank you so yeah. much for calling in today, Kate. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Great. Uh, we have another caller on the line. This one is from a 1729 number. 
1729. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and um, tell us where you're from? Hi, Laurie. This is Terry Moore. I'm in New York City. Oh, great. Well, welcome, Terry. Um, Thank I, you. Uh, let, let me start by saying that I, I just want to, to amplify what you said earlier about being a super spreader is a good thing when it comes to information. Yep. Yep, it sure is. It sure is. I think we have so many negative things that we attach out there nowadays. Oh. When you turn on the news and if we put a smile on somebody's face and, and make them think of a positive way to twist that around, I think that's a that's a well, really good well, thing. Well, Larry, I'm, I'm here to be positive. Good, good. We need all that we can get. So what, what do you have, Terry? Well, my story is that uh, I, I became a part of the Alzheimer's scene about five years ago when my wife was diagnosed with the disease. And I, at that point, threw myself into the uh, world of Alzheimer's to see what what uh, therapies there were, what treatments there were, what cures were on the table. And as you know, the scene is remarkably bleak, uh, although there's some promising research going on. Uh, and part of that promising research I found was research that was being done with light therapy in which light that was uh, at a particular flashing frequency shone into the eyes of subjects that had Alzheimer's, uh, that light stimulated a natural brain frequency which led to and is consistent with higher degrees of awareness and attention and memory. Uh, and I thought that was so interesting and so promising and, and that it wasn't invasive and harmful and dangerous that I had someone build one of these lights and I tried it at home with my wife and my friends. And in a short time, it accrued to their talking about how they were sleeping better and they were in better moods um, and so forth. So figuring that this was part of the prevention scene, uh, I established a product which we call a Beacon 40 to produce this particular frequency light. And that has simply reinforced my feeling that the future when it comes to Alzheimer's is, is not so much in looking at, at cures, which seem to be a long way away, but in prevention. And there are many things that can be done that accrue to a healthier lifestyle and a healthier brain. Um, we know we know most of these things like not smoking. Uh, it has been discovered, much to our surprise, that things that accrue to a healthy heart also accrue to a healthy brain. Things like vitamins, good nutrition, exercise, and so forth. And then lastly, the presence of 40 hertz light, of light from a device like our Beacon 40, seems to be nourishing. It's kind of like a vitamin. Uh, and for that reason, um, I decided to start this company called Homeolux and provide this product, Beacon 40, uh, which I hope will be a help to a lot of people. And, well, it sounds and that's really, my story, Laurie. Well, it sounds really interesting. Um, I had to chuckle when you said you had your wife and your friends try it, and I thought, well, did you try it? <laughs> or did you uh, just have that, them that's try a very, it? That's a very good question, and let me answer you right away. Uh, <laughs> I have it on my desk right now because I have come to be such a believer that I think 40 hertz light is like a vitamin. And a Beacon 40 can provide that vitamin. And uh, I have it and my friends have it and 
not all of my family, but some family members have it, and we run it all the time. The 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 thing that I uh, I, I wanted to add here uh, is that we designed the flashing light product, the Beacon 40, so that it would not interfere with lifestyle. So it doesn't require, you know, putting on headgear or having to be in a particular orientation. It's just the light. And mm-hmm. and it's on and it uh, provides 40 hertz uh, stimulation, which, as I said, I have really come to think of as a, a vitamin for the brain. Well, and, and I know there's light to... therapy for depression and stuff out there. That's been around for ages. Um, yes, that's yeah. well known. Yeah. Uh, seasonal affective disorder, yes. Yeah. Uh, this, this is fairly new research, but it but it's from the laboratory. Uh, and thus far, I mean, we've we've been selling this product for some time now, uh, and the word we have from uh, our customers uh, is that, just like they we we found out here, they say, you know, after a couple of weeks, you know, I noticed that I'm sleeping better, uh, I'm in a better mood. Uh, Mom called me by name, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, okay. And uh, you know, it's it's. It's a simple technique, but it's not invasive. Um, and as I said, I've become such a believer, I think it should be everywhere. And one day it may be. And, yeah. and let me just also add that this is Alzheimer's Month, and for Alzheimer's Month, we are donating 100% of our profits to the Alzheimer's Association. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Now, one thing I know you'd mentioned, um, and this is going to just show how, how – uh, uh, unscientific I am, but I can see people thinking, okay, he said, you know, 40, 40 hertz uh, light therapy, I'm just going to buy 40 watt bulbs and I'm going to plug them in and <laughs> have them on and <laughs> see what happens. What's the difference? Well, well, the, the the difference is that it's not 40 watts, it's 40 hertz. <laughs> and 40, 40 hertz is a flashing frequency. Mm-hmm. And the lights flash at this frequency uh, that's why it's called a beacon 40, because it's 40 hertz. That 40 hertz frequency turns out to be what, what the world of neuroscience calls in the gamma range. And this, this you've heard about alpha waves and beta waves and beta waves. One of the things the brain does is produce gamma waves. And, and the, when the brain is making gamma waves, when it's in that gamma mode, it seems to be... Uh, uh, much more conducive to interaction, to um, awareness, to memory. Uh, and often people who have cognitive difficulty have difficulty in maintaining the correct brain, brain waves and brain mm-hmm. rhythms. And this is a device that stimulates the brain right in that gamma frequency. Uh, and that's what the Beacon 40 is designed to do. Well, you know, you talked about sleep, and, you know, just in the last couple of years now, it's really come out the importance of getting good sleep and getting eight hours and, for some people, maybe even more. And, you know, a lot of us can lay in bed, but we're we're up running to the bathroom or checking our phones or whatever. Right, yes, we're right, really, exactly. We're really not getting good sleep. And so if Lori, this can I'm, help I'm, with that. I'm glad you mentioned that because... Here I was talking about things that are are conducive to a healthy brain style. I didn't mention sleep, but you're so right. Mm-hmm. 
That's, yeah. That's, uh, that's really high on the list. Yep. Yeah, very, very important. In mood, I mean, you'd mentioned mood. We all want to be in better moods, especially nowadays. There's so much stress on the table. It's like, you that's know, no matter right. which way you turn, if it's politics, if it's COVID, if it's uh, finances, um, you know, it, it's endless these days. And so if there's something that can help keep us calm and more comfortable in our own skin, um, you know, I think that that's... Well, I- uh, I submit to you that, that, that a Beacon 40, that 40 hertz light, is a vitamin that will help you stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And Wonderful. And it's good for the brain. And uh, let's do things that are, are preventative. Let's try yep. to have healthy lifestyles. I really believe that that's, for the moment, the best answer to the Alzheimer's problem, which is overwhelming. I was startled at the statistics. Almost well, 6 million people in this country have the problem. Yep. It's the number yep. six cause of death. You're probably familiar with all of these things, but this was new to me. Mm-hmm. To discover quite the dimensions of the Alzheimer's epidemic. Yeah, well, and with the, the numbers even as high as they are, we still don't have them all because there's a lot of people out there with symptoms that haven't gotten diagnosed. So, you know, to I'm me, sure right. it's, it's the tip of the iceberg. And we still have to get people feeling more comfortable even going in to get checked out. We have to get our doctors to do more screenings, have comfortable conversations regarding this where, you know, where people feel like they're going to be supported and, um, you know, they're not going to have their family and friends free and be uh, scared of that. No, fear fear is the enemy for sure. Fear is certainly the enemy. Yep. But well, one of the things that may help is mm-hmm. 40 hertz light. Yeah. I believe, now, it, I believe it is. Now, Terry, with this, how how big is this this light, and oh. what's the cost to it? If you don't mind sharing. Uh, the uh, the light is actually the size of a small stereo speaker. It's okay. about uh, nine inches high. I mean, you you wouldn't. You, you really wouldn't notice it unless you were looking for it. Okay. Uh, it, it, it looks like a small stereo speaker. And it's uh, it's available in several configurations, from one light to two light to six lights or more. Uh, and it's about $250. Okay. Great. Now, um, you know, with that, I, I think the other thing that I just want to mention is even though this would be great for somebody who is diagnosed with dementia, this would be something that anybody in the family or in a community um, could um, could really get benefit from as well. Is that oh, correct? I, 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 I dramatically believe that. That's why I have it on my desk right now and, and have persuaded uh, many friends and family members to do the same. It's, it's a healthy thing to do, and there's no downside mm-hmm. I mean, and, 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 unless you have uh, 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 photosensitive epileptic seizures, which is at a, really at a different frequency anyway. Oh, sure, yeah. So, yeah, that won't trigger that. And this isn't something that's going to suck so much energy um, that you're going to see your your bills and out of control either, I would imagine. (laughs) No, and and it's fascinating because uh, when you turn it on, uh, the first thing that happens is you say, oh, 
well, you know, that's slicing. That 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 sort of that's kind of annoying. And then thirty seconds later, you don't know it's there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and it's just part of the environment, but it but it's an enriching part of the environment. Yep. Now, how long do you have to spend in front of it? Do you have uh, time scenarios, or can you spend too much well, time in front of it? <clears throat> I don't believe it's possible to spend too much time with 40 hertz light. We recommend that our our uh, customers who are who are using this uh, as a treatment uh, uh, or as a therapy get at least an hour a day. Uh, but I, as I said, I have mine on all the time. I don't think you can do do too much. Uh, it doesn't have to shine directly into the eyes. It can simply be part of the environmental lighting, and it doesn't require that you do anything other than have it on and have it visible. Mm-hmm. So now this might sound kind of goofy, but would it be something that would be appropriate to even have in your bedroom when you want to go to sleep? Or is it best to do it when you're up and you're active and, and alert and have that uh, light? Well, I think I think it, it, it can be beneficial as long as you can see it. I don't okay. think it has any any beneficial effect once you have closed your eyes and gone to sleep. Okay. There may be other therapies for that. But this but this is for light you can see. This is visible light. Okay. Okay. Well good to know. I'm I'm thrilled that you called in today to uh to share with us uh well, I, I'm, the I'm beacon such a believer in uh, the Homeolux product and um if you'd like to have any more information please let me know. We're uh, we're available at our own website, homeolux.com, or at, or at amazon.com. Uh, and as okay. I said, for the month of September, 100% of our profits go to the Alzheimer's Association. Okay. And homeolux is H-O-M-E-O-L-U-X.com. Is You've that got correct? It. Okay. You've got it exactly. Well, wonderful. Thank you again so much for calling in, Terry. Really appreciate Lori, it. Laurie, thank you for your interest. I'm just delighted to be able to to spread the good news about 40 hertz light and, and prevention. Great. Thank you. We've got thank another you, caller, caller on the line here. I'm going to pull in the caller at 4548. Do you want to introduce yourself and uh, tell us where you're located? Hi, Lori. It's Cindy Luzinski in Colorado. Well, hey, Cindy. How the heck you doing? Sorry for the delay in getting here. <laughs> no, this, this I had, was actually perfect timing, so this is great. Good, good. Well, I, I planned to listen to more of more of the show today, and I ended up getting a late, uh, getting out of a meeting late. But yeah, I was just um, talking with my staff, and I thought, oh, I'm going to see what's going on with you and update you about what we're doing here in Colorado. Yeah, I know you're going through a lot of changes, so. Update us all. Cindy, for for those of you that aren't aware of who she is, she is a maverick, a superwoman. She is just changing the landscape of dementia care and culture in Colorado and is having this ripple effect truly, really around the world. She's just doing amazing work. I can't say enough good things about this woman. So you got the floor, Cindy. Oh, great. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Well, uh, our uh, nonprofit organization, Dementia Friendly Communities of Northern Colorado, uh, went through a name change and rebranding with the whole uh, COVID pandemic. And what we really focused on was 
well, let's be true to who we are. Don't We didn't want to have mission drift. We knew that our mission was no one walking the dementia journey has to walk alone. And so we stayed true to that mission, but we said, let's ask the people that we serve and how do they see what we're doing. Um, and what they reflected to us was who you are is you are people who come alongside us on this journey so that we aren't alone. And we're like, okay, good. We're sticking to our mission. And so we, the name ended up getting changed to better reflect that. So now our name is called Dementia Together. And with that, we continue to try to help businesses become more dementia friendly, although that has become a lesser focus. And instead, we've focused more on the people that we actually serve with our care partner support groups and our memory cafes. And of course, all of our monthly memory cafes can't meet in person ever since March. So we did that quick pivot way back in March. And now we're, we've been doing weekly virtual memory cafes for uh, our couples that are still living at home or people that are living independently at home. We do two of those a week. And then we also do a couple virtual memory cafes for long-term care community staff and residents and their families outside the facilities so that the families outside of the facilities can attend the same memory cafes with their loved ones and oh, see their loved great. ones engage. And it's just, even last week, we just had a couple daughters whose uh, mother had recently moved to one of our long-term care communities. And they said, it is just so nice to be able to see mom singing along and dancing and um, enjoying herself. And one of the daughters hadn't even seen the facility where her, her mom had moved because she was calling in from out of state. Um, okay. But that has been a really uh, good service for the community to have these virtual memory cafes for long-term care communities. The interesting um, barrier is that staff a lot of times either don't know, don't have time, um, even just to hook up a simple HDMI cord from a computer to a TV to get the staff to, or to get the residents to be able to watch and participate in the memory cafes. That's been somewhat of a challenge, although word gets out and there's been plenty of uh, long-term care communities here who are now starting to sign on more and more. Mm -hmm. And the families are figuring out like, this is a great way to see my loved one. So gradually those numbers are increasing. So it could be that rather than doing four memory cafes a week, including the two for the community and then the two for long-term care communities, it might be that we end up doing, you know, more than that every week. But um, it's been an interesting shift and, you know, we still are, I believe, staying true to our mission of walking alongside these people on the dementia journey. And then for those who haven't been able to figure out the whole Zoom thing, um, we've been trying to still connect with letters and phone calls and we started a meal drop dinner drop um, once a month for our couples. Mm -hmm. And so yesterday was our, we delivered a hundred breakfast burritos to <laughs> some of our people. Uh -huh. and, uh, that's just been a simple old fashioned way to help people know that they're not alone and they haven't been forgotten. So it's just been real interesting with our whole new dementia together um, branding and then just really focusing on staying true to who we are and not losing sight of that. Um, yeah. It's been a good season. Now, are you still, because you used to get, like, packets to physicians and things like that, are you still continuing to do that? Or Yes. Yeah, we are. 
and um, we're actually expanding. We, we started in one county in northern Colorado, and we're expanding to uh, the county next door and uh, planning to deliver some of those. So the packets just include a one-page tip sheet for somebody living with dementia, a one-page tip sheet for a care partner. Um, it includes the links to the various ways to connect, which are now mostly virtually with us. Um, mm -hmm. and some of the education, so educational life enrichment information. And then we also include the um, business cards, not just of our organization, but of other collaborating organizations in northern Colorado. So we include the Area Agencies on Aging business card, and we include Alzheimer's Association business cards. Uh, and we essentially then help these people uh, get referred to other organizations as well. Um, just so that they don't go from getting a dementia-related diagnosis to floundering for six months. Instead, it's, you know, we, we give these folders at no charge to the medical providers in northern Colorado, and then they know they can give these folders to their patients getting worked up for dementia and mm -hmm. say, come back and see us in two weeks. Let's find out how you're who you're getting hooked up with and we and making sure that they know that they get connected with some kind of resource in northern Colorado so that they're not um, having that period of anxiously wondering what to do next. Well, so I, that's I been love a really that. um, good program. Yeah. Yeah. And when you said floundering for six months, six listeners, six months is a short period of time for some people to flounder yeah. and trying to get connected. Yeah. So just to keep that in perspective, this is, huge what Cindy is doing and I really encourage other communities to to follow step with this because this is I would say it's the number one complaint from families is I'm not connected yeah. I don't know what to do you gave me a prescription and another appointment and told me to see my attorney and get my affairs in order but you know how do I live day to day with this uh -huh. and, and you know yeah. where do I go very very important uh, stuff so um, and I have to say that I, I love your name because the last one was, um, it was a lot to spit out. And I never knew if I was <laughs> yeah. getting the words in right order, you know, and, and stuff. Yeah. And so Dementia Together is just nice and simple. And you're a .org, not a, not a .com. Is that correct? That's correct. We're a nonprofit organization. So we really just rely on grants and private donations to keep us going and try to provide our the services, including the resource folders and the education and life enrichment programming to families and care partners at no charge to them so that cost isn't a barrier to participation. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like that's still been the right way for us to go because there's been plenty of people we've been able to reach because cost wasn't a barrier. Yeah. Yeah, and cost is tough, especially now you add COVID into things, too, and, you know, the markets are changing, and uh, there's just mm -hmm. so much going on out there. Um, I, I I just have to really applaud you for your memory cafes and, and um, you know, converting things quickly, because out of the, what, eight 900 memory cafes, I think Dave's only got 50, it might be up to 60, that have converted to virtual. And that's not uh -huh. enough. You know, we need to be doing better um, in terms of converting because COVID's going to be with us for a while. And 
This is going to be able to reach people that haven't been able to come physically, too, because they just don't feel that they can leave their house. You know, it's just too difficult, maybe with their uh, the person they're caring for, um, whatever it might be, or maybe they're physically disabled and it's just too too much to do. Um, so I, yeah. I, I I think a lot of things are going to change um, for the better, and I know it causes a lot of sweat and strain on everybody in the meantime until we figure it all out. But by having conversations like we are today, I, I think it brings hope and light and, and ideas for people to be able to, to implement um, and, and make change in their own communities or in their own lives as a whole. Yeah. Um, now, you guys were doing um, what was it, the B-flat or B-sharp program. <laughs> I was I always say B flat yeah. the B sharp program and I and I would imagine that that's kind of come to a halt um, because that was an in well you would event. think it would actually mm-hmm. last season we um, did some virtual reality filming of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony um, and so that's actually been available to our people who are in the program where the B sharp program was a program that allowed people with dementia and their care partners to attend the Fort Collins Symphony um, five times during the season and with the tickets underwritten by people in the community and then be part of a study at CSU looking at sense of connection, um, their cognition and mood. Um, mm-hmm. And so actually they are continuing some symphony performances now online, of course, and then our B-sharp people can be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is kind of just getting underway again to restart in October. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hear, you know, back to your Memory Cafe comment, like, of course our people want to get together again in person, and we can't right now. But to your point, you're right. There are plenty of people who say this is actually easier and better. Mm-hmm. And we can reach more people. We can reach the people in rural areas. We can have people join us, not necessarily, you know, right from the same town and they become friends mm-hmm. um, I feel like it's just amazing the the depth of relationship that people can establish even just on <laughs> over the over the internet so um, well yeah, yeah. So we have, I, I think we have some good stuff going on yeah yeah and I, and I think the virtual connections that was poo-pooed for so long I mean so, well you were ahead so in the long. game with everybody on that with dementia chats and I mean, yeah, you you of all people should know that. <laughs> well, but I mean, even even like uh, Facebook groups and things like that with people oh, yeah. chatting that isn't, uh, you know, that isn't a video, it isn't audio, but they, they had real communications and developed real friendships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and people just kind of flush that all down the toilet going, oh, that's not real. And it's like, you know what? We're not talking about the weather and the sports. I know more about them than I know about you, and I've known you for 20 years. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it was really yeah. about, you know, that those intimate, authentic discussions of, you know, of, of all the emotional stuff, too, that we go through and people not walking away but being there to support them no matter what time of day, you know, that it was. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, fantastic and it opens the door again for more flexibility for people to be mm-hmm. able to gather and um, you know just like they say telemedicine's not going to go away and you know virtual conferencing probably isn't going to go away um, virtual schools 
and online stuff mm-hmm. probably isn't going to go away either. It, it's all going to get incorporated to give us more choice um, to to meet our needs so that we can do a better job supporting whoever it is, you know, we're supporting in the moment. So um, what yeah. is the best way to get a hold of you guys if, if someone is interested um, in learning more about your dynamic organization, Dementia Together? Well, oh, thanks. Um, so DementiaTogether.org, pretty easily, <laughs> or pretty easy address. Pretty easy. Um, and, okay. and to reach me, it's uh, Cindy, C-Y-N-D-Y, at DementiaTogether.org. And just remember, um, Cindy's and, unique, so, of course, she spells her name different. You know, just keep uh, it in that. Just to make it difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can do I think you can actually type in help at DementiaTogether.org, too, and it'll get to somebody. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing what all you're up to. Keep up the fantastic work. I just love watching what you guys are doing because it's very impactful. Very, you guys should be well, really proud of your work. Well, thank you. And I get to publicly say right now, even as we were starting this nonprofit organization several years ago as a volunteer initiative, you coming out here and helping us get started and motivating us um, to to do it right, I feel like is a huge foundation that we got to start with um, in the right direction. So thank you for everything you've done for us and your ongoing support of our work. Oh, well, you no, know, I adore you guys. And um, like I said, you're, you're the energy and your focus, I mean, you're just, you're, you're laser focused with a warm, fuzzy heart. You know, it's, <laughs> you're not overly academic. You guys are always so personal. And, you know, people, you walk into any of these groups and the energy is so profound. Um, people are smiling. They know each other. They're thrilled to be together. Um, that's how we should all feel. I don't care dementia or not. Yeah. You know, we should all feel yep. welcome. And you guys do a really yeah. great, great job at that, along with all the education that you're doing. So, um, Thanks. yeah. Well, thank you. I've got another caller Thanks. on the line. I want okay. to pull in here. So Good thank you. you. Okay. Thanks for calling uh-huh. in. Bye-bye. All right. Um, Bye-bye. So we've got another caller from an 8062 number. 8062, you are live and on the air. Do you want to state your name and where you're calling from? Hi, Laurie. It's Christine Telker calling from Vernon, British Columbia, Canada. Oh, what a a sweet surprise. Oh, my gosh. If you guys don't know Christine, I um, interviewed her not too long ago. Amazing, amazing interview. So, Tell us what you've been up to, Christine. Oh, well, you know, advocating as always. And, um, um, you know, just um, really trying to connect to people and make sure that they stay connected. Um, um, Working a lot, trying doing, um, of course, book signings, um, which has been a little different with the COVID rules we have up here in Canada, but still managing to do that and, um, you know, really working on the advocating part of it, um, really pushing hard for some for some change. Mm-hmm. Why don't you, um, before we get into some of the advocating and change that you're working on, why don't you mention the title of your book and, and what people can expect, because it's really a, a fantastic book. 
The book's called uh, For This I Am Grateful, Living with Dementia. Um, And what they can expect is honesty. They can expect um, a personal perspective of my life. Um, And I don't hold anything back. I share the good and the not so good um, because so often we get a second or third perspective um, because it is very um, difficult to make yourself vulnerable enough to share all of those difficult pieces, um, but so worthwhile, I think. And actually, I've been really surprised at the level of... um, interest um, from the academic world and the clinicians and doctors. Um, so really trying to, to work with a lot of those um, people um, and getting the books into their hands because uh, that's where we can really start to make the change. And it's, it's about giving people hope. It's about giving people hope. Yeah. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with uh, Christine, she is living with dementia, and her story is amazing. I mean, you'll laugh and you'll cry when you're reading this book if you're anything like me, um, but you you will see things in a different light. You will become aware of things that you overlooked before, and um, to me, it's just got powerful life lessons just woven in there and you know the name of the book is really all about being grateful and and some people will go now excuse me but how can you be grateful about dementia Uh, but there are great gifts wrapped in um, that experience just as there is in all of life if you choose to look for it and you know you went through some really tough times and just um, the way you walked through them with such grace and such honesty and like I said, you know, like you said, being vulnerable um, and just laying it out there. Uh, how did you How did you deal with that? Because a lot of people don't like to be that vulnerable. They'll probably really appreciate that you were able to do that, but they might not think that they're ready <laughs> themselves. Yeah, I, I do hear that from people and, you know, I've been really touched um I've, I've it's made me very emotional because i've heard from people from all corners of the world who have reached out to me after they've read my book and and it's made me really aware of how important it was to be that vulnerable mm-hmm. um and the other thing is um when I decided to do the book and sent it off to the publishers and then it spent a year and a half or whatever it was, um, you know, in in their hands, they weren't allowed to make any changes, but they had to do their setup and all the stuff they have to do um, because I wanted it to stay my words, not them changing. Um, so, so we had a very strict contract around that. Um, but for me... Um, she didn't really realize how vulnerable I had made myself until the book was actually released. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting messages and calls, and it was like, 
oh my gosh, what have I done to myself? (laughs) (laughs) That's the honest answer. And then it was like, then I just had to reground myself back to why did I write the book? Mm -hmm. And I wrote the book because I always said after my diagnosis that if I had to have this illness, it couldn't be for nothing that I needed to find a way to help other people. Mm-hmm. So I had to just take that vulnerability and wrap it back around what was the original goal of writing the book. Yeah, and that made it much easier. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just beautifully beautifully done, and the even the artwork um, which you personally did on the book cover is is fantastic too. I think it just you know, state such a story in and of itself um, as well. Now, regarding, you know, your advocacy, what types of things are you doing and and can you do, you know, during COVID right now? Well, you know, as far as the advocacy work, you know, because all of that, of course, is done differently. Um, And, of course, Alzheimer's Disease International's um, big conference that was supposed to be in Singapore in March, which was then postponed till December, which is now uh, changed to an online first ever conference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I am still going to um, be um, presenting uh, uh, two different two different um at two different sessions mm-hmm. um and so it's it's doing advocacy in a different way trying to reach people in different ways um there's a lot of there's a lot of um work being done out there right now cuz there's a lot of questions that a lot of advocates are asking like why, after 25 or 30 years of people advocating, are we still not seeing change? Yeah. You know, the changes are so small and minute, but but I say take those small ones because every one of them is a win. Yeah. But we need to have, we need to have a bigger change happen globally and within our each individual countries and communities um, so that people can can really thrive and and continue to to live their life mm-hmm. to live their life you know um i I was just looking at some notes of mine this morning. I have notes all over the place, of course, and uh I had wrote uh at one point a little statement uh don't bury us before we're dead mm-hmm. you know, like don't tell people to go home and get ready to die. Tell people and give people the tools to help them live. Yep. You know, everybody that gets this diagnosis is if they're not already just because of all the the public perception of what dementia is and which is very wrong, we all know that, but it's what it is. Um so we all know what the end stage is going to look like, but nobody's telling us what what can be done in the meantime. How yeah. do we live? Where are the resources to help us thrive? You know, yeah. 
Um, so, so that's that's where I'm really trying to to make um, make a difference and and make some big statements around that and and have the voices heard around that. Um, yeah. So. You know, COVID has changed everything, but what it hasn't done is it hasn't stopped us. We're just finding new ways to advocate. Exactly, exactly. I was uh, recording the Dementia Chats this morning, um, and those are a panel of people living with dementia. We were talking about diagnosis and the change of diagnosis and, you know, how did they feel? And, you know, they all talked about, you know, upon diagnosis, they just, wanted to give up and die, they got really down. And same when a, when a change in diagnosis occurred because they finally settled in to, okay, this is it. And now it's like, okay, now you got to do it all over again and, and figure out what's at play. But what was interesting as we were talking, they were talking about how some of the people in their lives had walked out, both family and friends. And I drew them back and said, that's because they were framing the disease as end of life automatically you're in end stages and there's so much life to be lived in between and and we do need to talk about that and and that's one of the to me that is one of the biggest things that we need to push to change and the way we do that is we have to reach the um policy makers the um the heads of the medical schools and nursing schools and all of the different medical fields out there so that people are actually learning current relevant information and how to help people live instead of just telling them to die and and how they can go about giving that diagnosis in a way that does not destroy their life there is some people that when they get those kinds of terminal illness um, diagnosis, because that's what it is, mm-hmm. it devastates them, and they can never find their way out of that. Yeah. So we need to stop doing that to people. Yeah, I, you know, I totally need... agree. Yeah, so so that's my big push right now is all around that. And I know even within my own community, um, I have got all kinds of doctors now within the community reading my book and going, wow, I had no idea. Wow. Uh, I had one of our specialists um, who actually is new here and works in dementia um, reach out and ask for my book because one of his um, patients told him about it. So, you know, those are small places to make the changes, but we need them at the bigger levels. We need them in the schools where they're being taught. Mm-hmm. You know, we have health health assistants and health carries and, you know, they're called various things in various countries, working in long-term care and, and working in hospital settings. And we have nurses working in hospital settings and they get no training. It's skipped over in their courses. Because nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to deal with it. We have to stop that. Yep. We well, have to and stop I, that. So that. And, and part of it, too, don't you think, is that it's, 
it's kind of this uh, one-size-fits-all mentality, but they really don't understand that everybody is going to react to their symptoms differently because they're just wired differently. You know, they have a different history. They have a different emotional, psychological, intelligent base, you know, gene makeup, the whole nine yards, all that stuff comes into play. And so I, I still think doctors are are shocked um, for the most part that, oh, gosh, well, that's not that's not how the other person reacted to this, you know? Um, well, and, that, and that's very true. They, you know, it, it isn't a one-size-fits-all, you know? Um, I don't go into the shoe store and buy the same size of shoes as you do. What makes a doctor think that because I have to... I have a specific type of dementia that everybody with my specific kind is going to behave like I do. That isn't possible because like you say, there's all the underlying things that contribute and the brain is so complex and it sends different signals at different times. So we're, you know, the old saying that if you've met one person with dementia, you've only met one person is very true. Mm-hmm. Um, we all are so much alike and yet so vastly different. And that crosses over through many different types of dementia, not just within one type. So it's a very complex disease. And yes. we all get that. We all accept that. But we need them to accept that so that then they can start actually being able to help us. Yeah, well, and understanding, too, that it's a it's a fluid disease. So just because you're diagnosed with Alzheimer's today doesn't mean you couldn't have vascular or frontal temporal lobe or Parkinson's or, you know, even FTD um, come into your equation. You know, some people end up with a mixed diagnosis or multiple uh, diagnosis or shifting diagnosis or even just name changes of an original diagnosis because the only way to really know is through autopsy and, you know, that really isn't an option when you want to live. So um, (laughs) (laughs) so it's important for us to look at that. Yeah, and that's so true. it, It does cross over. And oftentimes people, and this is the other thing, they have to stop doing they give you the diagnosis, then they take it away, then they give it back to you, then they change it to something else, and then they give it back to you. And and then before you know it, um, you know, you're so distraught because you have no idea what's really right and what's not right, but you know that you have a problem. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. know within ourselves that we're not the same as we were before. So... You know, they have to be a little more careful in those kinds of things. And many people do end up with what they now term uh, and started to coin as mixed dementia. And that's when one type of dementia is crossing over into another type. And it's quite um, relevant for a lot of people. And health issues start affecting us because we still have other health issues. We actually end up with a lot of complicating health issues. Um, And as those things come into play, 
it's very often that we end up with this mixed dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it would be better if they said you have, for example, for myself, uh, you have vascular dementia with a mixed component. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can live with that. But don't tell me you have vascular dementia. Well, maybe you don't. Well, yeah, yeah. Have vascular dementia. Well, we're not sure now. And it's like, uh, you can't, you know, we we don't tell people, um, well, you have cancer. Oops, no, you don't. You know, we yeah. don't devastate people that way. So we uh, shouldn't do that to people with dementia. Yeah, I, um, I kind of relate it to finding out you're adopted. You know, it's like, but I thought this was my family. It's <laughs> you know? yes. like, who, who am I? You know, and, and what's the truth about me? And, you know, you have, you have all of those things that come into play. It's really important that I think that we also set up with the, starting from the doctors that this can be a fluid disease that can change so that people know that up front. And so it's not such a shock because it's typically not something anybody talks about um, to their patients. And then it's all of a sudden, well, well, what do you mean? You know, this this is kind of hitting me sideways here. And so if that is just right. mentioned up front, I think it would be um, less frustrating and less confusing when it when and well, unless that occurs. And less frightening. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, um, you know, the other piece of that is that, you know, um, how they're delivering diagnosis and who they're delivering it to because age matters in a diagnosis. So, you know, if you're diagnosed like I was in my 50s, sort of in that prime of, you know, working and building for my retirement years and all of those things, um, or you're 85, and there's a difference in how you're going to manage getting that diagnosis mm-hmm. and how much you may or may not want to do to try to uh, alleviate symptoms and help yourself as much as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, at 85 or 88, you may just want to just, you know, bobble along and enjoy what time you have left. Mm-hmm. At 55, you're going to be more inclined to say, what can I do to help myself? Exactly. Exactly. So so, yeah. so age matters. Yeah. And again, it, the, there isn't anything black and white about any of this stuff. Um, you know, we've got to be open and, and you've got to, you know, doctors need to know their patients and they need to know their families too. Um, I just, I think it's really, really important that we have honest conversations and that we get people the resources uh, as easily and as quickly as possible. Um, Christine, thank you so much for calling in. Again, I would recommend her her book. It's called um, For This I Am Grateful, and you can get that on Amazon, or uh, can they go to your website as well, Christine? Uh, yeah, you can go to my my website or my publisher's website at Austin Macaulay or your local bookstore, Barnes & Noble in the, in the U.S. Or, or even your local bookstores, and they can bring it in for you. And uh, chapters up here in, in Canada. 
and thank you for having me. I just uh, I got your um, I got the link sent to me for the um, show today, and I thought, oh, I just have to take the opportunity while I'm sitting here to call in and say hi, Lori. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. You're doing wonderful work, and I uh, I thank you for calling in. I think everybody who called in today. I think we had a a great conversation. And so I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show here because uh, we usually go an hour. I had a gut feeling we might go a little bit longer today, Uh, but I think it's important to hear what people are doing and what resources we can find. Um, And again, I would encourage people to go to mdvip.com forward slash brain health IQ quiz. Um, I think you'll you'll be surprised at what you know and what you don't know. And they will, they will show you um, and give you some examples of information there as well. uh, If you didn't get something correct. So don't, don't worry about it, but it's just a, it's a, it's a nice quiz. It'll only take you about 10 minutes. Um, So check that out. And again, to all of our listeners, again, I want to thank you. I would encourage you to subscribe if you haven't and like, click and share this episode. I think it was filled with, with great information that people need to know about. And if you are thinking maybe, just maybe you'd like to be a guest, please reach out to me at Lori, L-O-R-I, at alzheimerspeaks.com or just go to our main website, alzheimerspeaks.com. So you'll have two S's in the middle. There's a big contact button in the upper right-hand corner if that is easier, or there's always a link on our radio page as well. Enjoy your week, and uh, we'll see you on Thursday. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great quick motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.